Wondering how to start an events business? It doesn't matter if you're running a trade show, a conference, a marathon, or a kids obstacle course race series, the fundamentals are the same. That last one is what Billy and Helen Madison have done, building kids adventure games into a national race series that's ripe for growth. In this episode, they share where the idea came from, the participation numbers they need to fill an event, where their revenue comes from, and how they've created an experience that surprises and delights kids and parents alike. That helps them fill future events with repeat customers and grow the event through wonderful free marketing known as word of mouth. It takes more than a great idea to run a successful event though. We talk about venue selection, timing, staffing, and more, giving you a solid foundation upon which to build your own killer event or series. The podcast by Tyler Benedict that explores the startup stories and growth tactics of hundreds of entrepreneurs, plus his own tips and tricks learned over two decades of launching, running, and growing businesses, including BikeRumor.com, the world's largest and most popular cycling tech blog. If you're thinking of starting your own business, the Build Cycle will give you the tools and inspiration to do it right. Now, let's dive into this episode of The Build Cycle. Kids Adventure Games is an endurance obstacle race that gets teams of two on mountain bikes and running through up to 18 obstacles on a three-mile off-road course that puts most adult obstacle races like Spartan and Warrior Dash to shame, in my opinion. We signed our kids up for their Big Sky Montana event this past summer, and it was a blast. I could run along with them, take pictures, but totally leave them to their own devices to work together to get through the obstacles. Uh, despite traveling through like Park City and Banff and Glacier National Park and Badlands and some other pretty amazing places, uh, which were all awesome in their own right, this event still stands out as one of the highlights of our summer family trip. So I've got with me here Billy and Helene, Helen Madison. And really, I know you guys sent some pictures, but I kind of want to hear this in your own words. So where did this idea come from and how did this whole thing get started? Well, uh, I was an adventure racer. Um, I was super lucky that I came upon a sport uh, that combined all the the sports that I did. It was kayaking, mountain biking, running, climbing. It came along uh, mainly with the Pico Challenge that was started by Mark Burnett. And I uh, had a team from Vail here that uh, we won uh, one of those races. And it opened up the doors and we were able to travel around the world in an adventure race and course it all comes to an end when you have children and uh you know it was fine by me 10 years of it was good and uh my kid's birthday party uh just on a whim i woke up that morning what are we going to do for the birthday party and uh i walked outside and cutting wood and i just took some uh you know the logs that i was cutting put them on end and put about seven of them in a row and put a ladder between two and tied some ropes in the tree and made a loop and these kids, I think it was their third or fourth birthday. Oh, my, Helen is saying it was their first birthday, but I'm finding that hard to believe. But they were they were little, and they just kept doing lap after lap after lap. 
and it was it was a super success. And uh, we we kept doing that every every November seventh for my kid's birthday. We put together a little course. We eventually moved over to a campground by our house here in Vail, and uh, we we took it to the next level. And one of the highlights of that course is I took a, a rope and we cinched it really tight over a beaver pond that had pretty thin ice on it. <laughs> and, I know. <laughs> and uh, the kids, you know, had their hands above their heads, holding onto the rope, walking across this thin ice. It wasn't very deep. But, uh, you know, the ice was cracking and breaking and they loved it. And we set up a little zip line over the creek and hooked them on it and sent them across and uh, had a big bonfire at the end. And, you know, all the parents were there and, uh, you know, the kids were sledding at this time and they had a great time. And, you know, the parents were, boy, this was unbelievable. You guys are onto something here and you need to, uh, you need to take it to the next level. And uh, I approached the town of Vail here in Colorado where we live, uh, the rec department, and they loved the idea. And we did a little test course our first season, and uh, it went well. Had to get permits from the Forest Service. And uh, we came up with a course the next year, and it was a super success. And uh, we did that here in Vail for, I think, four, four years. And the local families that came and did it were just jacked. They loved it. They kept saying, I mean, over and over, I can't, I can't even know how many people were just like, Bill, you're on to something here. You've got to, you need to take this nationwide. And uh, so that's what we did. We uh, uh, got a partner out in California who was able to get us some sponsors and, you know, get a little money for us to get started. And, uh, we started the, the nationwide tour and, awesome. uh, yeah. Yeah. I want to, I definitely want to talk to you more about the sponsors and the capital and stuff a little bit later on. So let's, let's dive into that deeper in a bit. But so right now it looks like you guys have six events on the calendar for 2018. Do you plan to grow that more? Yeah. So that number is just the six ones that are confirmed that we were able to start advertising. There's three more uh, out there that will be announced very soon. Two of them are the same ones as last year. We expect to go back to Big Sky and Copper Mount, um, excuse me, um, Seattle, Stevens Pass. Uh, we're still negotiating some other deals. So we hope to grow to 10. Cool. Yeah. So other than at least for those six that are mentioned right now and then the two, um, that you just said, the Big Sky, or sorry, not Big Sky, Vermont is the only like East Coast event. So what's, is there a particular reason why you guys kind of keep everything in the Midwest and West? No, uh, not really. And we, so we have Wilmot and to us, that is the route. We go out to uh, Stone and come back halfway to the Midwest. We are actually actively pursuing um, some other event sites on the East Coast, of which two of them I'm actually talking to this week. But uh, I can't really announce those just yet. Um, but no, that is not. And we have been asked to come 
well, everywhere across country, really. We just have to make sense of it all right. as we are right now. Okay, I've got to, got to kind of split off my little question list here then and ask. because So I interviewed um, another event promoter in the past, and he was saying that once the events got to a certain size, that instead of them like begging for permission to come host an event somewhere, the event, the venue was actually like encouraging them to come or even paying for them to come. And so are you guys at the point where now the venues are doing what they need to do to bring you on there? Or are you still really having to try and explain the concept to them and, and pay to use the venue? No, they are calling us. That's uh, awesome. We're in a fortunate situation on that. They are calling us and we're just trying to make sense of it. Like I just said, it's uh, they will underwrite. Um, the first two years are a little difficult uh, as far as, you know, getting the word out and growing that. So we definitely need that support and we definitely count on that. And that's one of our requests when a resort comes in. Right. And so are all of the events held on private land then? No, not at all. We we uh, I'd say half of them are, um, but we have to get permits from the Forest Service. Um, it's town land. It's um, you know the we're in Stowe, Vermont. That's one of the most easiest places that we're able to put our event on because that is entirely private. You know, so that Von Trapp uh, Lodge there, and uh, so that makes it super easy. But uh, the rest of the places are you know, we do require some sort of permitting processes and dealing with usually forest service officials. Right. So what does the venue get out of it? You know, if they're paying you guys to show up, like how do they get some value out of that? You know, it's a great question. Uh, I, and I absolutely, I asked the, uh, Chris, uh, Walter and, uh, Christine, you know, Von Trapp, uh, you know, in Stowe, Vermont, because they're booked. They're booked year-round. Their hotels are full. And uh, Walter told me that, you know, they want to bring the kids in. They want kids to have memories of coming to this lodge and having such a great time that when they grow up and they're going to want to bring their kids. And so, he's, you know, they're looking towards the future. Um, the other, you know, the bigger ski areas, uh, you know, it's – I think they're in collaboration with the town and the ski area and – it's bringing, you know, for every kid, there's three other family members coming and it's filling hotels. It's eating in the restaurants. It's that kind of thing. Right on. So do you guys, when you go to an area, then I mean, if there's an area that say the, the venue's not trying to pull you in themselves, do you go to like the uh, tourism board or the convention of visitors bureau to see what they'll do? Yeah, that's exactly right. We um, we just start with the Chamber of Commerce and or the Visitors Bureau. Uh, so far, we've only gone to ski areas. We've only ever put on at ski areas, and so it's a pretty easy direct call to the ski area or to us. Um, and they usually have all the scoop on how that would work, but we are definitely uh, looking at a bit of more urban and or beach areas which will be a little different yeah. for us. Uh, the, so what kind of like critical mass in terms of uh, participant counts do you think you need to, to have these venues interested enough to either just bring you in and let you use the land for free or even pay you guys to come there? Um, 
So first I want to say they understand that it takes a little bit to grow the event and just get the word out that it's there and explaining what it is that we do. Um, but for me personally, the 500 uh, kids is really a minimum to break even and for them to get. Um, so we have a ratio of uh, 3.7 meaning one athlete will bring 3.7 visitors with them on average. So those numbers are pretty good for towns um, for a return on investment. So that's kind of where, does that answer your question? Yeah, more or less. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, I understand like, you know, an event like this is not going to bring in the same numbers as like a marathon. I know, you know, that was the, the guy that I spoke with earlier helped put on some of the rock and road marathons. And, you know, they were talking about like tens or hundreds of thousands of people versus, you know, a few thousand. But for a ski resort to get a few thousand people in, especially in a summer month when, you know, there is no skiing to be had, it's, uh, it's probably a pretty good uh, yeah, you know when when we went to Wilmot, when we went to Wilmot, Wisconsin, they're closed in the summer, <laughs> and uh, you know the gates closed on the entryway, and uh, they opened it up for us, so that was a huge boom for them. You know, yeah, they're, the skiers are always looking for. That's why it's such a good fit for us with ski areas. They're well, always looking to increase their summer business. Yeah, and just the fact that they're all trying to become a at least a three season resort if not you know two season minimum um we fit right in in that we are a family event and it just brings in the whole family and not just the participant themselves right. um, which is one of the things that they really like about us and just the fact that it's a feel good it's kids getting out back in the woods and um that really talks to them yeah. and to our sponsors yeah, and it really is awesome. I mean, I, I can't tell you enough how great a time we all had. You know, as a family, just watching. I ran through with them and did video and stuff, which I, I think you saw. I posted on Facebook and sent you the link for the or shared yep. that. But at any rate, um, so other than like you know, when the event runs from the ski property into like some forest service land or something like that, other than like getting the proper permits to use the lands, what are some of the other hoops that you guys have to jump through to put one of these events on? Well, it's uh, getting a, I, mean, it's, I don't know if it's jumping through a hoop, but getting a, a group of people that can travel across the country and, and <clears throat> excuse me, are skilled enough to set up the course. Uh, you know, I've got, I've always said that, you know, I, I try to surround myself with people that are stronger than me. And it's not easy finding, uh, you know, a guy that can handle ropes and drive a truck and uh, build a course and work hard and, 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 you know, be reliable for the entire summer the way that our, our team has done. Um, so that that's huge. And uh, I don't know. What else? Are there any other? Well, it just takes a little commitment because we are on the road. I mean, we call ourselves a traveling circus. <laughs> so, um that is a big part of it and keeping all the, you know, the trucks running and the trailers popping tires and all that fun stuff. Uh, on a local level, we just have great relationships with the resorts and um, they help us out. They love 
<laughs> we have a great reputation. I'm very proud to say we, uh, once they get to know us, once they understand what we do and how we take care of ourselves and ask for help when we need it and advice on where to go, what not to do, um, they really enjoy having our company. So there's a lot of upfront work. We, but we, do, we do our very best to ask very little of the resorts that we go to. We really try to keep it all in-house where we're able to build an entire course. Occasionally, you know, we're, we're gonna need water to fill our mud pit with, and you know, that, that's easy for them. Usually every ski resort has a water truck. And uh, it's simple for them to have one guy go fill it up and pour the water into our mud pit that we build. Um, so I think that's one of the reasons that they really like it is that we, we're, we're self-contained. We can come in, build a course, put on the race, and then tear the course down that afternoon after you know the second day of racing and be out of there with uh, not bothering them or having to ask for much. And on top of that, we clean the course. Do you remember uh, the kids are being asked to, or there is an award to uh, pick up trash on the way, and yeah. they do. And yeah. it's it, and it's so very cool. And some kids take forever to complete the course because of it. So we have to kind of figure that one out. <laughs> there, there, there's a fair amount of kids that that's their goal, is to win the environmental award, <laughs> and it's cute. Yeah, no, it's awesome. The how long does it take to set up a course? Uh, you know, we'll usually if you know we'll we'll do some skills clinics on a Friday. We'll race on a Saturday and a Sunday. Um, Tuesday, we'll do a walk around with the whole team um, and just make sure everybody's on the same page on where every obstacle is going, the flow of the course. Then we'll take Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday to uh, build it. So, and we're, you know, we, we, we take it easy. Uh, we will start at nine and we'll usually finish about three. And, you know, you were there in Big Sky. We, we had our kayaks and we took kids and, you know, our kids and we went kayaking on the Gallatin River uh, four days in a row while we were there. We had a blast doing that. So, you know, we try to make it a family event too. You know, our kids are helping us work and we're actually paying them. And they've, they've gotten to an age now that they're uh, actually contributing <laughs> to the race. And uh, that, that's huge for us. It makes it a really uh, fun time, uh, you know, to see your kids you know, they used to be a hindrance, and now they're helping. Right. So that's cool. Right, so how old are they now? They just turned 15. I, we have twins, a uh, boy and a girl. Nice. Very good. So when you're, like on your website, you list 18 obstacles. And I know there were, I, I don't remember how many at Big Sky, but there were quite a few. And how about on average, how many of those do you actually build into each course? And then how much do you rely on natural terrain? 18 is a little high. I don't know if we have, I, maybe that might, yeah, that sounds a little high. Um, well, for at Big Sky, we're able, there we're able to use a lot of natural obstacles. And, uh, you know, we have these uh, battery-powered electric uh, chainsaws. That, you know, if a big log is falling across the river, we're able to, you know, saw off all the protruding limbs that are coming out of it, make it nice and smooth and round. And, uh, those are uh, awesome obstacles. Um, you know, it, ideally, you know, 
if half, if we could have half natural obstacles, that'd be great. Um, so, you know, we probably build eight, nine obstacles. Well, we always try to build a, you know, a zip line or a Tyrolean traverse. Um, we'll build water balloon launches. Um, our biggest, the most fun part, you know, the thing, the thing we get the highest praise about from the kids is our water slide. Um, you know, we have an inflatable pool and, you know, we'll put it up on a course and fill it up with water. We have our own pumps that keeps water circulating through it. And kids just fly down that. And that, that's, that's awesome. I think if you're at big sky this last year, I had a, I had an accident at uh, Squaw Valley and where I left the pump in the pool too long and it, it exploded. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't remember that obstacle, but I do yeah. remember the, the one where they had to run on the mats across the, like out and back on the lake, which was yeah. fantastic. Yeah. The dart, we call that the Darwin dash. And yeah, we've used those and you know, on creeks and swamps and lakes and they work out really well. Nice. So with regards to kids, especially since your participants range from six to 14, how do you develop obstacles and courses that are, you know, the littlest kids can do, but are still fun and challenging for the older ones? Well, we'll have, we'll have two different courses and sometimes three in uh, here in Vail, we have three separate courses that we'll do for each age group. And, you know, they're all, you know, the appropriate length for a, a small kid. Um, but, uh, you know, usually our, sometimes our first time at an event, we will have the same course, but the older kids will just do it faster. But um, we'll put certainly more demanding obstacles in for the older kids. I think the ideal age for a kid to do this race is, you know, the 8 to 12 years in that, that middle part of the age group is they seem to thrive the best on it. Yeah. Is that the where the biggest age range of participants are for you, or is it pretty evenly Absolutely. spread? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how many participants do you guys get on average per event? So, uh, Fail is standing out a little bit because it's been in existence a little longer. We get 1,000, and that includes the skills clinics. Um, the other events, we're, we're running about 500 kids per event, not on the new events, like Wilmot was new this year, Seattle was new this year, and Big Sky, we had skipped a year. Uh, but certainly the ones that we have been going to is about 500 kids. Can you Hope to get to 1,000. Yeah, can you grow it beyond 1,000, or is that kind of the limit of what you guys can manage or a course can handle? Yeah, that is kind of the limit. And it's not just a limit because of the course. It's also the limit that the parents want to deal with. When I talk to them, you know, the town of Hill asks us, just put on another day and bring more kids in. But honestly, the parents love that family feel in our events, that we everybody's included, everybody can run around. It's a pristine event. They they just don't. I asked them, and we asked this in a survey. They don't want to be part of this massive thing, and that's hindersome in maybe the uh, net income of the company. But um, 
you got to kind of balance that out also to where it still stays this event where kids are involved, families are running around, they all feel included in that, the feeling of the event. If you go to a huge number, you kind of lose that too because of kids. It's because they're kids. I always joke and say that this really isn't an event for children. This is for the parents and the children are the performers (laughs) in, in, in an act that just the parents are over the moon. They are so proud of their children and they're so happy. And they, the praise that we receive at the end of a race is I never believed my kid could do this. And, uh, so yeah, they're the ones that are paying. They're the ones that are, you know, the, the most vocal. And, you know, you, I heard you say that, you know, you were able to follow your, your, your kids through the course. I mean, honestly, we try to dissuade that a bit. We want the kids to be challenged. And so, you know, maybe you were able to stay back and not shout out instructions, but a lot of parents can't. They, they're, yeah, yeah. you know, this is what you need to be doing. So they step, go for it, you know, step to the right, grab up higher, you know, go fast or whatever, you know, it might be, but, um, we, that we've we've actually have contemplated creating parent-free zones. Yeah, it'd be cool. Yeah, I I, I agree hundred percent with that. And I tried to stay back or even hide in the woods some. I just I wanted to kind of film it just for fun, you know, and posterity. But yeah, I, I let them figure it all out on their own. I mean, they saw me a lot of times because I was standing up to the side with the the little video camera. But um, I agree. And you know, I noticed though. I don't I don't think. There's maybe one or two, more than one or two instances in that particular event where I heard any of the parents really trying to help. And honestly, there weren't a whole lot of parents that could keep up with their kids either. It was, Absolutely. you know, it spread yeah. out enough. I mean, I was sprinting between to try and get to the one place so I could film before they got there or were completely done and on to the next one. Yeah. So, you know, and, and having said that, it, it also depends. I mean, you went to the Montana event you know, if we're going to go urban, we might encounter a whole different set of parents, too. So I think, you know, um, I think the max of a thousand sounds like a good number right now. I hope it's good enough for sponsors. And stuff. Right. <laughs> yeah, that actually that reminded me because I was kind of thinking like the amount of people at Big Sky was surprising to me because Big Sky Montana is kind of in the middle of nowhere. You know, it's like close to Bozeman, but Bozeman is not a huge city. Yellowstone. And yeah. Uh, yeah, is it like a challenge to bring people out to some of these more remote ski resorts? I mean, Vail's kind of out there too. <laughs> Vail brings in 10,000 people, <laughs> literally, uh, from Denver. So I think there is a formula that people know about that it's something they say 50 miles. I think it depends on how accessible it is. Denver is an hour and a half to two hours, but it's an interstate getting here. And then in Montana, the, you know, I'm sure you realized when you were driving out there, the speed limits are 80, 90 miles an hour. And they were coming from Helena and Butte and Livingston and West Yellowstone and they come they travel great distances to to go anywhere. I think, and uh, so we we got people from all over. 
And I think also, you know, what we're trying to, what we learned in Vail and the town of Vail has really helped us with that. They have a, a commission called Special Events and they support us tremendously. And they've taught us over the year, you know, we just started with the Kids Adventure Race. We had no idea about heads and beds and what it could do for the town and how much fun it is. And, and so we're learning that um, uh, heads and beds, like, so Big Sky is a resort town. We try and um, make sure that people understand that there's lots of other stuff to do too. So there's the race, there's the event, but then they can take up the lift up to Lone Star Peak or there they can start. Yeah, and so do other things as well. So for people, it becomes a little staycation, and people actually will plan their summers around it. So yes, for day trippers, it's a little harder to bring them up to places like Stevens Pass and so forth, but then, you know, that's where we're learning to build the event around it. That's where we're trying to build uh, an adventure village around it where there's expos from our sponsors but also bring some other fun activities into it so that people will stay for a couple of days cool is it because you're dealing primarily with kids as the participants are there special insurance or publicity concerns like do you have to get is it weird being able to use some of the event photos in your marketing materials and website what do you mean by weird? Well, like, you know, like minors, like being able to use somebody else's kid's image in your marketing materials because they don't, you know, they're not like of age to consent to their likeness being used. I don't know. I Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So, uh, first of all, that's in our waivers, obviously. And we obviously as a company take care of you not, you know, it's, it's, we're not, we'll, we'd never put a kid out there crying and distressed. Um, that wouldn't be good marketing either. But. Yeah, it's all big fun uh, portraits. They all sign off on it, obviously, but we're proud of, of, of the pictures. They show great things. Insurance-wise, yeah, obviously our policy is pretty hefty, but it's definitely insurable. And Billy will speak for, you know, knock on wood, obviously anything can happen. And But we... We do our due diligence to to keep it safe and sound, and that's another reason as to not to grow the event to, you know, some ridiculous numbers where we can't figure it out anymore, where we can't keep sight of them anymore. Right. Um, I think the most dangerous part of our event is the uh, bike riding. Um, we haven't actually had an accident in the race, but in our skills clinics, we've had kids, uh, you know, fall off their bike and sprain their wrist or something. I think we had a broken wrist once, but that's about it. Yeah, which is pretty good considering, you know, I, I haven't seen the others, but you know, the terrain at Big Sky was no joke. I mean, there were logs several feet off the ground crossing running water. And yeah, it was, that, I mean, that's the appeal though, too, for me. And I think for Absolutely. my kids. Absolutely. We, these races are tough. Um, you said it earlier that, yeah, the parents would have a hard time keeping up with the kids, and they absolutely would. And we we purposely make it, you know, we push it. And, you know, I do a little talk with every team, you know, every age group before they start and say, this is real. You two have to keep an eye on each other. You have to help each other. You have to stay together. You have to communicate. 
and uh, you know, get yourself through it. And and they do. They listen and they they uh, they work together and and get get through that course. And uh, we also. You it's because you're not started. their parent. They'll listen to other parents. It's <laughs> just not the right. We don't even let the parents anywhere near that talk. Yeah, that's awesome. There. Uh, so, how big of a team do you guys have? How many? Like, are, and are they all based right around you? Do you guys travel together, or does everyone just kind of like fly in for event weeks and then disperse? We, uh, you know, the operations, and I'll speak to that. Uh, it's myself, Mongo, John, Charlie. Uh, four of us that will, you know, pretty much build the course. And Helen, how many do you have? Three, three, four folks that, um, I don't know. Which yeah, so we, we build the start finish area. We do all the, we run all the check-in and do the merchandising and run the, the um, emceeing and so forth. So when we travel, um, we have four vehicles four trailers, uh, three trailers, I'm sorry. And, uh, you know, I let Billy talk to our travels because it's really we, fun. <laughs> we, we have a blast traveling throughout the West, especially when we cross the state of Nevada. We mm -hmm. stop in the Ruby Mountains outside of Elko, Nevada, and we all camp. And, you know, we have our we have big kitchen boxes with stoves. And, uh, you know, the kids are there and we go hiking. And, you know, we take our time traveling from event to event. And, it's it's idyllic really um california is beautiful and, you know i mentioned earlier how we went kayaking after work but we we try to make it as much fun for the team as we can and i think that's why we've kept the same team now for four four years doing it um the 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 hardest part of the whole journey is the last day of racing and then we tear down the course at, at that and uh that's a long day. You know, we'll, we'll show up at you know, five thirty six in the morning and we'll finish at six, seven that night and uh, eat dinner, crash and get on the road in the morning. Yeah. yeah and I try to um, organize it so that people also, you know, they will take their own routes. They will have a couple of days maybe to kind of break away from us all or including myself and, uh, and just kind of just take a break for two days, but then we meet up again, and Weekly. it works pretty well. I'm traveling from uh, Squad down to Big Bear. Last year we stopped in the Seattle or Seattle to Big Bear. We stopped and climbed uh, the East Butchers of uh, Mount Whitney. Um, that was unbelievable. So yeah, we're able to enjoy our journey. Nice. Is it? How do you keep these people on board if you're not employing them year-round? Like, do they? Do you guys help them find winter work or? No, it's a seasonal job, and they've. You know, we're all from. We're basically all from the Vale area, and uh, we're ski patrollers, ski instructors, um, in the winter time, and this is our summer job. So a little history on that, which I'm also very proud of, is that. Um, Billy should be talking on this behalf, but um, there's a whitewater rafting company in Vail, Colorado called Timberline Tours that Billy has been a part of for many, many years. And uh, they bring in the A-team, and so they were all raft guides in the summer or safety kayakers, my main crew, and then in the winter, the ski patrollers. So I stole them all from Timberline and 
we started the kids adventure games but it's the same crew that billy has worked with for years and he works with the monsky patrol actually as well so um that's how why it can work uh, as far as seasonal employees because they all have solid winter jobs already cool and so you two are a husband and wife team what are some of the challenges of working with your spouse and how do you guys separate work from personal life or do uh, you <laughs> <laughs> well honestly tyler we're separated now might as well throw it out there uh but we're sitting here in the same room and we're doing really well we can compartmentalize the business um this is somewhat new but still there it is and um but I think, you know, we've worked together for so long. We are great race directors and organizers. And so it was really important to keep that going, honestly. Um, and we've been successful at doing that. And our team is right behind it. And we continue to do this in a really good way and build the company. Right. Yeah. It's family too, you know. It's it's the kids are a huge part to to be able to work. You know, yeah, we are separated, but we're we're together as a family when we're doing this job, and I think that's super important to you know. It's important to me that you know the kids are happy and you know working together and the team and everything. So yeah, we're we we're able to smile our way, have a good time right through the summer. That's great. Yeah. And, and answer what you want. I just certainly don't mean to pry, but like, I, I'm, I'm kind of curious because you know, it is like, you know, my wife helps me with bike rumor and there are times when she just does not want to talk about that. And I have to respect that. And then, um, you know, but then there's times when I really need her to help with some business stuff when, even though, you know, maybe we'd rather be just hanging out, having a drink or going to dinner or something. Um, was it, do you think like the, the, business side of the relationship play a role in how you guys have ended up or is it was it just other no totally other stuff okay yeah. um well no. uh, well i you know we've, we've separated our tasks i'm the operations guy and helen's way more of the business person um i design the courses i lead the team building them and helen does a great job of uh you know Finding the, the the sponsors and uh, dealing with payroll and that end of it, the administrative stuff she's great at. And so we have our we have our niches in the in the company that really works out well. Yeah, it sounds like you probably play to your strengths too, which is a absolutely good way to run. So, how much do you rely on volunteer labor to put one of these events on? So that's that's huge and. Um, that's an interesting topic, actually, because uh, I'm sorry if I keep mentioning Vale, no, because it's it is its own, it's its own beast almost. Um, in Vale, we definitely have a refund policy or a, a alumni pay policy for our volunteers because we put on 100 volunteers a day or 100 staff a day. Wow. Uh, in Big Sky, it's only 30. The reason for that is um, it kind of grew a little differently. And also, um, we head out into the town of Vale 
which means that there are so many un, un uh, how do you call that? There's a fun word they use for that. Um, they're not participatory. They're just people walking around in town. Oh, okay. And there's a lot of them. And so we need to have a lot of volunteers sort of making sure that the kids are not running off in different directions, not running other guests over and so forth. So it has a big difference. So the volunteer pool comes from parents whom we uh, then refund a small portion and say thank you. And then we use alumni, kids that have been on the course that have now turned 15, 16, 17, who are great because they understand exactly what's going on. We engage um, clubs. So for every 10 volunteers, we make a donation to their club. Um, but yeah, that's it's labor intensive. We're talking kids and you know, we have 15 obstacles, so that takes at least, well, a minimum of 15 people, but really two per station. So, yeah, it and adds to, up. To, and to answer your question, we couldn't put on the race without our volunteers. Yeah. And uh, they're the very first people we thank when we do our award ceremonies and recognize for, and everybody understands that. And there's huge rounds of applause when, you know, when, when we when we announce say thank you to them yeah uh, and that's the norm i mean i know like spartan race and those guys depend completely rely on volunteers to get out there and help man the course and aid the water stations and stuff and then uh like my friend used to run u.s master swimming he said all the events he's like there's no way you could ever put those on without volunteers so it's it's I think that's just the nature of the beast when you get to this because we'll talk a little bit about financials, but you know, like you said, I don't think any of these events could employ a hundred people, right? No, exactly, no, yeah. exactly. So we uh, go ahead. No, I'm done. I'm good. <laughs> okay, well, uh, with your current team, you know, how much could you guys scale? Could you add more events? Yeah, we, yeah, we could. We could, we could, we could go year round. I'm sure we could go down to Florida and the, you know, the Gulf Coast and Texas and um, put on events right through the winter. So what? Um, why not? Why aren't you doing that yet? Because I wish you would come to North Carolina. Yeah, we're coming, Asheville. I've already visited. Awesome. But um, so um, obviously, it's equipment cost and labor cost. So each event has to pay for itself. That doesn't include overhead. So uh, right now it's a matter of, you know, do we need double the equipment? I need a huge investment to, to be able to buy more equipment to run all those events. Um, Is that so you could have like a West Coast team and an East Coast team or? Exactly, that would be, we would have to split up to, to kind of just guide or, or a winter team and a summer team. Or that, you know, you, you could do that. So if you look at the amount of weekends we have between Memorial Day and Labor Day, um, and then working every weekend and traveling in between, that's a lot to the team. So yeah. it's all about capital, honestly. I think the demand is easily there. I think if people know who we are and what we do, I mean – People just love the event. This, that, that's just, you know, 
and we love doing it. So we can scale it. Yeah, what are your ambitions? Like how many events do you want to get to in a given year? 24. Okay. And is that, can you do that with the current team or does that necessitate a, a second show? Um, well, 24 is half of the year, if you like. No, I think we need, we need more people, more equipment to really get there. I think it's not realistic to have um, this one team of team of six, seven people right now to be the core team traveling around um, to, to really run all of the 24 events. Yeah. How do you determine your pricing? Like, how did you come up with that 150? And actually, let's talk a little bit about the pricing. So we, I think we paid 150 to have our two kids run. So it was 150 as a team, not each. And um, you said Vail is a little more expensive. And I think I understand why now, because you'd need so many more people. But um, how did you figure out that number as the right number to charge? Um, I think it's to do with both sides of the coin, meaning um, what, what do people, how do people value us? You know, you for a mountain bike race, 20 minutes, you show up with your own bike, you go around the course, you easily pay here, I don't know if it's around the country, but you pay $25, $35 to just participate. We put, we bring so much to the event. You're out there for an hour and a half to build everything. Um, then you've got to look at what's realistic as far as how many numbers, what, what can you bring in? Like how many kids will actually show up? And what's your cap? Uh, so I think $75 a team, uh, per, excuse me, per person, seemed a realistic number, and it made sense in our budget um, for what we can expect for people to pay, as well as can we make the numbers work with the help of the resort's underwriting. Right. And you guys have sponsors. I think Toyota is the presenting sponsor and you've got some supporting sponsors. How did you assign a value to those sponsorship packages and levels? And, and you know, speak what you want to the numbers. You know, I don't, I'm sure you don't want to give away all your financials, but I, I'm really curious, like how much of the total cost of putting that on is that are written by the venue versus the sponsors versus the entry fees? So, um, 39% is underwritten by the entry fees. Um, therefore, you know, the leftover is pretty much underwritten by other income. And that is the skills clinic plus the merchandising plus the underwriting of the resort plus local sponsors. And then, the national sponsors, the way I look at things is I reserve for overhead. Which if that is makes sense. Uh, staff payroll? Yeah, staff payroll, insurances, and, and not even the event insurance. I actually calculated that within the single event cost. But um, it's signage, it's vehicle stuff, maintenance, repair. It's um, uh, payroll for marketing, PR, myself, um, 
just the typical overhead stuff that, that you can't really apply to direct costs. Right. Um, it's a big number, the direct event cost. I'm, I'm sure it is. There's a lot of moving it's, parts there. I've heard the Spartan number and the Tough Mother numbers, and they are at least five times as big as ours. Huh. Uh, but they do build for six weeks and bring in you know, heavy equipment. Uh, we don't do that, so it's not as much as them, but it is a lot. It's hard to make up with just team entries. Yeah, well, I think that's why so many events rely on sponsorship as well. Is it, so with the with the current numbers and all that. Is there like is are you able to grow off of revenues alone, or do you need uh, would you need to take on investors if you want to grow any faster than maybe like say adding one event per year? Yeah, we definitely need capital investment right now. I'm heavily working on that. Um, it's not possible to get the exposure even. Um, and then if you do get the exposure and you do go to other events, well, then you need more trailers and vehicles. So it's just one of those typical, you know, like new business. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to take on that risk. I think, you know, we have grown every year. In great numbers, I think we can um, make this nationwide. We, you know, it's there. I know what our challenges are. Oh, I'm sorry. I say I. We know what our challenges are. Um, but right now, in our fifth year, yeah, absolutely, we need some serious capital investment to bring all the kids to the birthday party. Right. Um, Is the well, I, I've got a couple of questions about marketing, but I have a couple more about pricing and stuff. So you just mentioned before we started recording that you guys are introducing some early bird pricing programs. Um, like what's, is that just to incentivize people to sign up earlier so that you kind of know what you guys have going or to go ahead and bank some revenue to use to grow mm -hmm. those events? I think it's both. You know, banks of revenue is for sure, um, you know, the winter months, we, do, we don't get any income really from September through March if we don't do the early bird. That's new this year. Uh, we've never done that before. Uh, the response was amazing. People are definitely wanting to be out there, but I capped it because I didn't want to give it all away. Right. Um, so I think it's both, and to keep the race in the forefront and, and, and capitalize on that momentum that we had. Everybody's so excited after the races, up till about two months after the race, people will post and talk about it and send me emails and do all that. And so just to, just to stay in their minds, and our kid's birthday is November 7th, which is when we opened that, and we kind of played that angle some, um, that seemed a good time to, to do that. But yeah, it, it's definitely both. Keep it in the forefront of people's mind and, and some revenue during the winter months because, of course, you know, insurances and stuff will just keep happening. Marketing will keep happening. So let's talk about marketing. When you guys, for an existing event, like, you know, let's just, I, 
Let's pick one other than Vale because it sounds like Vale's kind of back capacity and people are just stoked to go. So some of these other ones where you're hovering around, you know, four or 500 participants and you think it could grow to a thousand, like what kind of marketing do you do for an event there where it's already been there and people are aware of it? Okay. So that that's great because, you know, great question because um, we're now, uh, we've done four seasons in some of the most established, like Squaw, um, Utah, and I'll say Utah because we did move, um, Stovermont, I feel like there's a fourth one. But um, we've learned that, unfortunately, for print advertising and so forth, our families are our best ambassadors. Our mom bloggers are our ambassadors, our Facebook posts and so forth. So. We definitely concentrate now after last year we had local ambassadors, meaning they would go to the local stores and hang up the posters and trying to talk up the event in schools and what have you not. Uh, boots on the ground and social media is, is our main outlets right now. And it's a lot cheaper, unfortunately, for the printed versions. Oh, yeah. Well, I will say that I, that's how we found out that it was print. We were sitting in, uh, I think it was the Bozeman Distillery and or the brewer that's right next door to them. And the kids were playing foosball or something. And I just picked up one of the, you know, like outdoor, free outdoor magazines and found the ad. And I was like, pulled uh -huh. out my phone and I signed them up on the spot. Without awesome. Even telling them. Thank so, you for yeah, that. That's good feedback. Yeah, that's great feedback, actually, because it, it's, it, you know, we do ask the question when you sign up, like, how did you figure that out? And we look at those numbers um, to see where we should, you know, budget. Um, but you know what it's like. It's social media is just a quicker, faster reach. And it's so cheap compared to print. You know, oh. print's kind of outrageous. It's, it is. But, you know. I think everything has its place for sure, but I, I would agree that social media is, is that's what I was curious. Do you have a particular strategy for using Facebook and, and Twitter and stuff, or is it just are you just running ads on them? Yeah. And you're asking me when we should be bringing in Andy, our marketing guy who, who runs all that. Um, I think there is a strategy um, as far as timing, as far as uh, click-through um, reward, as far as... Um, did I say timing? Obviously. Um, and uh, giveaways. And then, you know, the mommy bloggers, they are super influential. Um, especially, if, you know, it, it, it's, the, it, it's the families. There are our ambassadors. And um, if we can put that out on social media, that's the people that we would. Last year it was Macaroni Kids. Um this year, we'll probably be using more known local bloggers. Um, How do you find those people? You know what? They find us. Huh. I talked to a lady out of Reno today. For the longest time, she has that particular uh, site has like 9,000, 10,000 followers. It's all moms um, with kids that are looking for stuff. And so... Uh, but yeah, but they're out there, and I think it, with some research, you just find them. But right. a lot of time they find us, so that's great. Yeah, that's really cool. It's good insight for 
anybody I think that's trying to reach that kid audience for anything to do with kids, especially if it's sort of, sort of healthy activity, because everybody's looking for adventure, right? And every, like you said before, you know, the parents are more stoked than the kids have the time because they just want their kids to do something besides like, play video games or look at their phone. Yeah, and I think there's a balance, you know, my kids do that too, but um, you want a healthy balance. And, and I don't know, Billy should be talking about this. Um, Billy should be talking about this, about how the kids, you know, once they do this, there's such a follow through of excitement and how they take that into their lives about not being on the phone all the time. And Well, that's what I try to get them to do, but I don't know if I succeed all the time. Um, it's certainly, they're not, they're certainly not using their phones and when they're out there on the course, but um, I don't know if it carries on. Yeah, on the way home. <laughs> I played a lot of video games when I was a kid, and I think I turned out all right. So yeah. it's like you yeah. said, it's a balance. Um, you mentioned that there's this strong interest in, in mentioning and posting photos and stuff for the, the month or two after the event, but for your marketing, how far ahead of the event do you guys need to start that outreach and the, the social ads and everything before, you know, like what's too early and what's too late? Um, I think that I can easily speak to the too late, which is a couple of weeks in advance. I think the notion of being sold out really bumps people out. And so earlier is better and getting people to sign up is better. They want to be part of something and they, um, obviously like to get the better deal. It's better for us because of planning as well. So as far as marketing is concerned, earlier is better, but not too far out. So we're dealing with, so for the summer events, which right now we only have summer events, kids are out of school. They're not part of a club. They go to camps. And so we actually get the requests pretty early because they want to plan their summer so that they can still come to our event and go to their camps. And so for us, we start Christmas time because we're in ski areas. We try and get our videos up on the lodge uh, televisions, have the ski areas really bring it into their hotel TV sites and all that. Uh, so that they know when the event is happening and they don't go to camp that week, that weekend. So in that case, it's pretty early. Late, we bring in actually a fair amount of teams from people that are on site and suddenly realize that they're missing out. It's not my personal ideal version because it means after we set the start list. We will get a few teams the day before the event. Totally. And that... It's tough for working out the timing schedules and start starting and stuff. Yeah, so there's no day of registration? We do it. I, I set rare. some bibs aside. You know, we're still growing. I'm not going to turn them away now. Right. <laughs> and we love we love for those kids to have those experiences. I mean, it's, it's just so awesome. Yeah, well, I think when I saw that ad, uh, I looked at your website and it said registration was closed and I called or something and somebody told me, no, it's still up and go ahead. And so I signed them up. But cool. Good yeah. to know. So then, so 
really like registration opens i think the website said march 8th so you guys are marketing it as of like early march then for yes. a june event absolutely yeah that's 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 the thing except for of course we did the early bird for the both for the for the june event so right um but that was just marketed to people who'd already participated in the past and if they wanted to pass that on to their friends then that's great and that did happen how much Actually, of a I discount was the early bird it was twenty dollars for the team okay so you guys are and, and, and they got a woolly hat uh in christmas wrapping nice that they can put under the tree that's pretty cool. That's a nice touch. So for geographically speaking, then when you guys market an event, like let's say, you know, pick any one of them, like how far out do you go? Like, you know, since there's not an event in North Carolina, is there any chance I'm going to see any Facebook ads or anything for like the Vermont or the Wisconsin event? Or is there, am I too far away? No, no, I think you will. Generally, first of all, you got to like the Kids Adventure Games. I think the boosted posts will probably be more focused on the area. But um, if you've liked our posts, you will absolutely be seeing them. Okay. But for somebody well. who hasn't, like somebody who's never heard of you before, yeah. um, how are you reaching them? Then It's just yeah. searching like interest and then buying ads against that or? Yeah. It, both geographically interests, you know, um, I think we focus on the two hour travel time at the moment, but you know, you have to kind of look at it case by case because Boston is three hours. We still want to reach the people in Boston. So we'll probably reach the three hour, which we know is a little far, but then we make sure that we entice them with, Hey, you're coming to a great area and there's more to do. Kids Adventure Game is your focus, but there's so much else to do as well. And that that's when we work together with the Visitors Bureau and the Chamber of Commerce and the ski area itself to try and package that. Cool. Is there a management or operational challenge that keeps you guys up at night? And if so, how do you deal with it? Hmm. Well... Philly, you first. <laughs> oh, boy, the management. Um, you know, I worry. I, I wonder sometimes it, it is hard physical work setting these courses up, and I do worry that, you know, the team's not getting too burnt out, and that's why I do try to, you know, start work at 9 and finish at 3 and do something fun in the evening. Um, I do worry about... Uh, uh, you know, a kid getting hurt. Um, you know, I, I, I totally trust the the obstacles that we build, but you know, things happen, and uh, I do I do worry about that a bit. And uh, you know, knock on wood, nothing has bad has happened. So so far so good. And uh, uh, kids are getting dogs barking. Um, I don't, I don't lose too much sleep though, really. Okay, that's Billy's side of the story. So, um, as the sort of business side of the business, um, I worry about a lot of things. I worry about kids getting hurt. I worry about our finances. 
I worry about, um, you know, our trailers making it and not breaking down halfway through. But that's just typical business stuff. I mean, you're you're a you're a new business. You're starting up. You're trying to work out how to get everybody to the event. Make sure that people are signing up. I think that's pretty normal in a growing business. Um, we totally believe in what we do, so we just keep pushing forward. But yeah, you know, it's the twenty four seven. As a entrepreneur, you just really don't ever not think about your business. So, yeah, there's no off switch, is there? No, there is truly. And I will take this one on because the rest of my team they do have off switches, but they don't deal with the business side of things. You know, they they are on site operational. They're the A team. They are great. They help me think stuff through even the, during the year, but. Yeah, they go off to the other jobs, and Andy and I, the marketing guy and I, are Barb and Gavin are, you know, really working towards next summer. And it, yeah, there's no off switch. Mm-mm. Right on. This is this next one's kind of a new question for me. It's one I've been wanting to ask in the past couple of guests. It just kind of didn't make sense, but I feel like here maybe there is. So, based on your answers to that last question, is is there some sort of product or service or tool you wish you had? that would make it make some of those challenges easier? Boy, um, and Billy, check in. I'm I'm trying to think on the operational end of it. Uh, I can't think of anything. So, so on the, on my side of the business, I think any IT, anything innovative that can help us, be more efficient. And I, the registration sites, um, I've switched between two. There's definitely stuff that can be done better. And I think the perfect program hasn't been written yet as far as I'm concerned, but I do understand that there is um, bigger motives, other motives, a bigger picture for the registration site. I think if anything, it's a technology part of things. and. Um, which registration systems have you used and are you using now? So um, we've used Red Podium and we've used Active. And both, I will tell you, both teams there were awesome and super helpful. Um, I come from a database management background. And so I can't have it a full 100%, so one day. But um, you know, they both are great. Active has a huge um, back office. Like they have so much, well, they're huge and they have so much added value that you can tap into. And uh, Red Podium, and I know Eventbrite is great also. I just finally had to pick, you know. Um, But Red Podium, from what I'm reading, is that there was people like myself who just got frustrated but not being able to customize really deep down in, in several layers um, and asking for the information that we wanted to and then be able to report on it and act on it. Um, so that's where Red Podium, I guess, from what I'm understanding, came from. I find that one um, 
it's more customizable. And right now, that's what we're heading back to Red Podium. But uh, okay. Active is awesome also. So Red Podium is the one that lets you do more deeper customization of the, the sign-up process. Correct. Okay. And uh, from our surveys, the parents from one year to the next um, definitely preferred the ones that where we were able to customize it. That's cool. So it, it handles all of that. Like, does it handle like the email list management, the surveys, the registration, and all that? Yes, it does. Um, they all do, FYI. Oh, you know, okay. Active does that too. In fact, you know, Active has the click throughs and the refunds, and um, you know, it it's hard. But uh, it was just more a little bit more user friendly. Yeah. So, what is it about Red Podium that you you wish? they would do better or, or features that you wish they had that maybe they don't yet? Um, yeah, that's the second, uh, I think Red Podium, you know, the search areas, they have their custom fields or not their custom fields, they're, um, get the terminology for it right now, but the, uh, the terminology for it's their fields and so that's how they set up their search areas whereas I can't search by my custom fields hmm. and uh, that that gives our back office our you know when people call in they have a quick question but it's not the primary sign-up person but it's a secondary primary person and we can't search for them and so that that's a big deal to me personally Gotcha. So because if it's a question you're asking, like like if somebody signs up, you could search by their last name, but if it's some extra custom question you entered, you would not be able to find them by those results or search. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Oh, cool. Well, those were all my questions. So it's the ones I usually finish with are um, just kind of like it. So if somebody wanted to follow in your footsteps and run some sort of event, uh, what kind of general advice? You know, what are maybe one or two pieces of advice you'd offer them? You know, for me, it was, you know, it sounds a little corny, but I followed my heart. I did, I, I, I created a job that I truly loved. I, you know, I had done it for fun. I had done it semi-professionally. It was my love, you know, what I, was my enjoyment in life. And to be able to, have a business that you can do that with. And then I surrounded myself with good friends and, and honestly, people that were stronger than me. Um, people that uh, loved it just as much. And uh, so I was very lucky in that, in that, to have that opportunity to create a business with, uh, with yeah. what I've kind of built my life around. I'm kind of curious now. I don't know why I didn't think of this earlier. So you came from the Eco Challenge. What were some of the, I guess, experiences or lessons you learned from participating in those that you brought into this business? Uh, teamwork. Um, absolutely teamwork. You know, getting the feedback from having the respect for your team. And, you know, every team I was ever on, I always thought, <clears throat> excuse me, I always thought I was the weakest person on the team. You know, my, I was like, I had to work so hard to stay with this team, uh, you know, to keep up. I don't want to disappoint them. 
And uh, it's still that way today, you know, and even though it's, I'm not competing, I am competing, but I'm, you know, I still feel like I need to really work hard so I don't disappoint the people that are working for me. And uh, it, it's really paid off. I mean, we really do have a very tight team. And, um, just super lucky. It's awesome. Helen, any yeah. parting bits of advice? <laughs> Yeah, no, I just, um, what Billy says as far as following your dreams, and I think that your whole life, um, you don't even know it way back when, but you're, you're building towards something. You know, for me it was, I'm a phys ed major, I grew up in Holland, I traveled the world before I met Billy, and always looking for the next adventure, and but always thinking about, you know, what, I want to create, I want to, I want to, for me, it was always, I don't just want to play in the mountains. I actually really enjoy um, having this business that actually um, pulled it all together. I remember sitting at a lake in Austria when I was 16 years old and I looked at it and I'm like, wow, a sports hotel or something or something <laughs> to, to bring people together. I mean, even back then. And so over the years I met Billy and, Gosh, he was the exemplary of all of that. And, you know, you got to know about Billy is that he is a kid magnet. All of our friends, he call him Billy's boot camp, you know, because he takes no nonsense, but he would take little kids up and out and doing stuff. And I'm like, everybody should be able to be part of this. And I think that's kind of where it went. And But, you know, it's a business. You have to make sense of it as far as finances and your living circumstances and everything else that goes along with it. So, um, but it's awesome. You know, if you can find something to build. Yeah. yeah. As long as the numbers make sense, go for it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for your time. I know it's, you know, right in the middle of dinner time when I'm interviewing you guys. So appreciate <laughs> it very much. And, uh, it's great talking to you. Oh, it's great talking to you too. Thank you. Thank you, Tyler. Billy and Helen took an idea for their own kid's birthday party and turned it into a national series that's growing every year. I've put on mountain bike events before and talked with numerous promoters about their own conferences and athletic events. One common theme is the need for volunteers. The economics of major events simply don't support the staffing needed to run them. So you absolutely must find and incentivize volunteers to help run your event. And people back out or don't show, so it's good to pad your numbers so you're not left with unfilled positions or overworked helpers. You also need to make sure they're well taken care of at the event. Do they need food, water, lodging, transportation, or something else? Put yourself in their positions to anticipate needs, then make their experience as good as the actual participants so you're left with nothing but positive feedback. The economics of an event depend on other factors too. Sponsorships, external financial incentives from venues and suppliers, and merchandise sales or VIP packages can all supplement or even surpass actual registration fees. If you can break even with registration fees, then everything else is pure profit. Like the participants though, you need to make sure all parties see value in their involvement so they become repeat customers too. Even if you never put on an event, think of your customer's purchase experience as one. Are you providing value that'll make them come back? 
Here's hoping you come back for more of the Build Cycle podcast. If you like this, could you tell a friend about it and bring them along too? Thanks a ton, and until next time, keep building.